Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. This morning we're going to look at uh, Abraham, uh, known as the man of faith. Uh, we looked at Cain and Abel, we looked at the life of Noah, so I thought I'd complete it by looking at Abraham as a significant person that the Bible records. I'd like us to bow our heads and pray that the Spirit of God will speak to us this morning specifically. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray we will be so envisioned as we hear this word, Lord. May your Spirit speak into our hearts, Lord. Give us revelation, Lord. Strengthen our faith, O oh Father God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A major part of the book of Genesis revolves around just one family, and that family is Abraham and his descendants. It is from Genesis chapter 11 to chapter 26, records a very significant family line starting from Seth to Abraham, which covers thousands of years. In Seth's generation, Seth is the third son of Adam and Eve, and in his generation, there were many people who would call on the name of the Lord. So we see that in God's eyes, those who are significant to him on earth are those who call on his name. So we see that the most important person in the Bible, apart from Jesus, is Abraham. Because the God of this whole universe decides to identify himself with this one family on earth, which is Abraham. The God of the universe is now calling himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that's what it says in Exodus chapter 3 verse 6, I am the God of your father. And that's how emphatically God is, a, is declaring, look, your God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine when people had conversations, who do you worship? I worship the God of Abraham. I worship the God of, Ab uh, of Isaac. And that's how God knit himself with this one family on earth. We see after the flood that people uh, did not choose to honor God, nor were they interested in walking in the ways of God. So God had to find a solution to the problem with the human race. He could either wipe them out again, but that never changed much uh, at the time of Noah, or God could find a way of saving the human race from destroying ourselves. Sin not only destroys us, but it destroys one another. So when we look at the Bible, the Bible is not just a solution or not just an answer to our problem. The Bible is a solution to God's problem. It is not just meeting our needs, but the Bible is a book that tells us how God's needs are met. It's a solution for God as well. Why do I say that? 
because the God of this universe has tied himself so intimately with the human race that whenever we go through problems, he too faces the same problem. I want you to think about this for a moment. Out of all of God's creation, the planets, the stars, the hills, the mountains, the, the rivers, out of all of God's creation, we as human beings are the only ones who could have an influence on God's emotions and God's decisions. Isn't that amazing? We're the only ones who could influence God by the things that happen in and around our lives. Because God is concerned. No matter what has happened to you, no matter how bad life has been, the truth of the matter is, God is concerned about what happens in your life. He's concerned about what's happening in the world around us. That's why he wants us to be a part of his solution rather than part of the problem. And God has given us a very clear mandate to be a healing presence in this world. Why? Because God is concerned about the injustice. He's concerned about the poverty. He's concerned about the sickness and the oppressions that people are going through. And God wants to bring a solution to it. These problems that we see in the world today has a profound effect on God that God took the initiative to bring forth a solution, not only to our problem, but it was also his problem. I'll give you an example to explain this. In a parent and child relationship, when the child doesn't do well uh, in their studies, whose problem does it become? Can you tell me? Can I hear that a little loudly? Parents' problem. When the child is misbehaving in school, whose problem does it become? When the child becomes rebellious, who does the teacher want to see? Parents. Why? Because the parents have a problem. When the child goes through exams, who studies more? The parents study more. The parents get so engrossed. Study, study, do your math. I mean, you, you stand uh, during exam time and parents bring the child, pray for him. And I feel like slowly diverting my attention and praying for the parents <laughs> rather than the child. The child is relaxed. I mean, they are happy. They're not bothered about it. You say exams, no exams. They're cool. But who's carrying the burden? It's the parents who's carrying the burden. Who's putting the pressure? It's the parents who's putting the pressure. You must do well. In the same way, who goes through problems in, the, in this? Is it God or is it we? God, he is our father. We are his children and he carries the weight of what his children are doing on planet Earth. He carries the responsibility in the way we grow, the choices we make, and the direction that we, we, we choose in life. Who carries that burden? Can I hear that loudly? Who? Who? God who declares, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why did God say that? Because God is the God of families. It is his heart to establish families. It is his heart 
to see his blessings flow from one generation to another generation. And so we are so preoccupied with what we go through, and we could only have a glimpse this morning of what God is going through, seeing the torch and the torment of what is, what is happening to his children and his creation. It gives us a little glimpse of his heart. So God chose Abraham not only a means to solve our problem, he chose Abraham as a means to solve his problem concerning the human race because he's concerned about us. But why did he choose Abraham? Why did he choose just one family to bless the entire world? Let me give you another example. If a parent buys a packet of sweets, there are two things a parent can do. Divide those sweets, three children, divide them into three equal parts. And make sure that each one gets equal. And that way, there will be absolutely no problem. You agree with me? Why? As young as we are, we want to be fair. If you don't divide it equally, you have a right on your hand. I remember my childhood days. Once my parents made a mistake, they broke the chocolate in front of me and gave it to me. I took the chocolate and threw it out. Why? I wanted the full chocolate, no breaking it. So after that, they learned, break it inside and present it to me, it to me as if it's full. So they told me later, even if the egg, you know, when you break a boiled egg, it's dented, I won't eat. I want it full. Who took that piece? I want it full. That's why I turned out so full. <laughs> because I wanted everything. You see, so we children, that's our attitude. We want, you know, everything. But there is a second thing a family can do. Buy a packet of sweets and give it to the eldest one, and teach the child to share it equally with everyone in the family. Second one is more difficult. But the second one, the second way of doing it, will teach the child how to become and how to live in a family. You're training the child to be responsible, not just for himself, but for the family. Now that is the reason why God chose this one family, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, to be blessed to share his blessings to the rest of the world. So if you're sitting down here very comfortable and saying, Lord, I thank you so much. You're so good to me. You're good, so good to my children, my family. You blessed us. Hey, Listen for a moment. The reason why he blessed you so much is so that you will share your wealth and your blessing to the rest of the world. Only one person will shout amen for that one. Can I hear an amen? amen. Never ever think that God blessed you because of who you are. He blessed you because you fall in line of Abraham's blessing and his desire and vision is to bless you, to share the blessing with the rest of the world. 
Every gift today, we, God has blessed us with this ministry of healing and deliverance. Not to just bless a small group of people, bless the nation. You, God's blessed us with finances, bless the nation, bless the poor people. Every gift that God bestows upon you is to be a blessing to the nations. Can I hear aloud? Amen. That's the purpose of God's blessing. He's positioned some of us in that place to be so blessed so that we will catch his heart or blessing for the nation and see how others are blessed. And there are plenty of scriptures. We're not going to get into that this morning. Or we can be like that child. No, I'm not going to share. It is mine, my sweets. Give me no, take one. No, only one. And sometimes in the spiritual body of Christ, we need to learn what it is to share with the people around us. Isn't that what Christianity is? That's what it is. That's his heart. That's exactly why God chose Abraham and his descendants. That through Jesus Christ, the blessings of Abraham will be distributed to the entire world who call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32, I am, not will be, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So we're not worshiping someone who's dead, we're worshiping someone who's alive. And God's saying, I am, present tense, not will be, not I was, I am the God of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living, and they're watching their descendants multiply on the face of the earth. God never called himself the God of Joseph, but he was known as the God of Abraham. These men were not the only ones in the family. There were others in the family. There were others uh, uh, along with them. For example, Abraham was with his nephew, Lot. Isaac was with his stepbrother, Ishmael. And Jacob was with his twin brother, Esau. So there were more than one in this family. But even in these families, we see a sharp contrast between one from the other. God chooses one from each one of their families. So we need to ask ourselves, who do we want to identify ourselves with? In the line of Abraham? Do we want to identify ourselves with Isaac? And Jacob? Or do we fall in the line of disbelieving the promises of God and disregarding God and go in the way of Lot and Ishmael? We'll look at that as we go on. Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac were ordinary men. They lived like every one of us. They grew up 
fell in love, got married, had children, raised cattle. But God chose them because there was something different about them. And the one thing that was different about them is that God spoke to them and that they spoke to God. One thing that made a difference. They communicated to God and God communicated to them. There is another thing that is quite clear with these three men. None of them had any natural or moral claim as to why God chose them. None of them could say, I was more righteous than the others, so God chose me. No, no natural claim to, or moral claim as to why God chose them. God, out of his initiative, chose them on the basis of his mercy and of his grace. Pure demonstration of God's goodness. Because in those days, the eldest son would inherit the family business and the family wealth. And they would almost look forward to that inheritance that was coming down the generational line. So when God made a choice, he did not choose the elder one. He deliberately chose the younger one, which was tended to be disqualifying. He chose the younger one. So he chose out of those families Isaac and not Ishmael. He chose Jacob and not Esau. God did that deliberately so that none of us can ever say we earned God's blessing or earned God's favor. He chose us to be his friend, have a relationship with us purely on the merit of his grace and his mercy. Not even one of these men can claim that they live better lives than any one of their family members. And actually, the Bible is very honest in telling us that these three men, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, were all liars. They, they lied, but God still chose them. They lied about their own wives in order to safeguard their own lives. And out of the three, guess who's the worst? Jacob, such a deceiver. None of us will want Jacob to be your friend. And if you were a girl, you would run away from Jacob. Not this guy. He's a deceiver. You, 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 he comes across your path, you'll hold your purse and talk to him. These were human beings. Normal, ordinary human beings. They made mistakes. They did wrong choices. So why did God say, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac? And here's the answer in James chapter 2, verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. You remember that? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. What did Abraham do? Can you say that loudly? What did Abraham do? Say it again. What did Abraham do? Because he believed God, God credit to him, you're a righteous man. If there is a good man and a believing man, guess who God will choose? You see, the church is bordered more on being good rather than believing. 
And we have a code of conduct, you know, how we should dress and how we should behave and what we should put on and what we shouldn't put on. We have a whole code of conduct and we think, oh, he and she is a good person. Hey, God's not looking for good people. He's looking for believing people. Can somebody shout an amen? He's looking for believing people. And that's why I keep saying true spirituality is demonstrated in not, our, not in our goodness, but it demonstrated into the extent we believe. Believing. How much we believe. And God says, I credit it to you as righteous because of your belief. Not only does God credit it righteous to us who believe, but he says, God will call you his friend. He can trust you because you trust in him. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what the master's plans are. He says, I call you friends. Why? Because a friend knows the plans and the intentions of an individual's heart. So the only thing that marked out these three men, which was very significant in God's eyes, they were men and women of faith. Men and women who believed in God. The best thing you could ever do is to believe in God. The best thing you can ever do is to believe in God. Living by faith is the beginning of living a good life. I'd like you to say that after me. Living by faith, now you can do better than that. Living by faith is the beginning of living a good life. So nudge someone next to you and say, live by faith is the beginning of a good life. The beginning of a good life. Not buying an LG TV or washing machine. It's a good life. When you buy a TV and LG. No, walking by faith is the beginning of living a good life. After 35 years of being a Christian, I vouch for that statement. I vouch for it. It's not coming out of my head. It's coming out of my heart. It is the beginning of a good life. It is an adventure with God that, that surpasses your mind in a way that you will never be able to comprehend. Abraham is very important in the Bible because of the way he lived. The first thing that Abraham did, he was, Abraham was the one that modeled faith. The second thing, Abraham demonstrated what it meant to be persistent in faith in order to inherit the promises of God. The third reason why Abraham is important, because Abraham obeyed God without the Mosaic law or any other law. And that's why he was so important. Let me repeat that for you if you're taking notes. The first reason why he was important, because he was a man that modeled faith, the second reason Abraham was important because he demonstrated what persistent faith is in order to inherit the promises of God. 
And the third reason Abraham was important with, to God is because well, he obeyed God without the Mosaic or any other law. And the last one is as important. Abraham's obedience came from hearing God's voice directly, and that's exactly how God wants us to live our lives. When we talk about obedience, we're not talking about obedience like, I must forgive my enemy, so I forgive, I'm obeying. Now, that's a good level of obedience, but that's not the obedience that God is looking for. I'm obedient, I should, you know, love or I should give. The obedience that God is calling us to is an obedience where we decide which direction in life to go. What are the choices that God will want us to make? We involve God in our decision making. And the Bible says that's what Abraham modeled. Without the law, without the commandments, he was there before Moses, but he demonstrated and modeled a life that God wants us to embrace. And we live out by faith in our relationship with God. I sometimes wonder why people give up smoking. Why do people give up alcohol? Why do people give up their moral lives? I mean, they're enjoying it. But why do you give it up? And I hope it's not for the reasons you see that ad on television which is so gruesome, where you see all the lungs, you know, and cancer will attack your lungs. How many of you have seen an ad on television? I don't like to watch it anymore. And the way you see it, and it wants to impress upon you, smoking is so bad, it'll eat your lungs, you die of cancer. And then we think, okay, I will give up smoking and I will be good. But I hope that's not our reason. Of why we give up those things that we give up, it's not because they're bad for us. We give it up by faith because it displeases God. Have I made my point this morning? You know, because even then we can be self-motivated. I give it up because it's not good for me. No. We want to demonstrate our faith in God. Why do we not take bribe? Because it's faith in God. We don't want to please God. Our lifestyle of faith is demonstrated by our day-to-day -day choices we make in life. By faith. So this displeases God, and therefore I will not do it. It's God-honoring, and we fall in that line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a big contrast in the way Lot, Esau, and Ishmael lived. They lacked spiritual vision, they lived a carnal life, and based their decisions on human reasoning. So when God promised and blessed Abraham and Lot that the, so much that their herdsmen began to quarrel with one another, Abraham and Lot decided it's time to part ways. So what does Abraham do? He says to his Lot nephew, he says, Lot, you take the first decision to choose where you want to live, and I will go in the other direction. He left the choice to Lot. So Lot chose to, to make his decision by serving the land. And he looked down from the hills and he saw the valley fertile, lush and green and nice. And he said to Abraham, wow, that looks good. I'm going down there with my herdsmen, my family, and I will settle there. What Lot forgot 
that the God of Abraham is also the God of the hills. And Abraham settled in the hills. Lot was not the only one who made choices like that. Esau made a choice like that. In his moment of hunger, he chose a bowl of soup which will meet his immediate need and forfeited the promises and the inheritance that will come down to him. That's how we can be at times. We're so consumed with meeting our immediate need, our immediate emotion, that we make the decision failing to see beyond of what God has in store for us. We see the same problem with Ishmael and, and, uh, and uh, Isaac. Till today we have such hatred be between Ishmael and the Arab uh, world with Israel. Why? Because of the enmity that has grown between the two of them. We see in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 16, the Bible warns us, see that no one is sexually immoral, and look at the word it uses, is godless like Esau. None will be godless like Esau. Don't live as if there is no God. Don't be godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Immediate need. So when we look at these two lines of uh, Esau and Ishmael and Lot, as in comparison with Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, we can now understand why God said, I choose to identify myself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God began creation with one man, Adam. He also began redemption with one man, Abraham. That till today, we lay hold of the blessings of Abraham because that's what Jesus accomplished for us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. We all are his descendants and is according to his promise. So in Genesis chapter 12, we see God makes a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is so different from a contract. A contract is where two equal powerful parties come together in agreement and say, look, we, we, we are merging together in a contract to make sure that we equally share the profits, we equally share authority in decision-making. That's a contract. But God didn't make a contract with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. And a covenant will always start with, I will. One party takes the responsibility to bless the other party. That's a covenant. And God made a covenant. He took on the responsibility of blessing Abraham and his descendants. And it starts off by saying in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will make you. God is saying, I will make you. It's like a marriage. When a couple walks down, a couple says, I do. I will choose to make him or her a lawful husband or a wife. It's a decision of I will. And God is making the decision of covenant with Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will, God saying, I will do this. I will bless you and make your name famous and distinguished. And see there in bracket what it says, and with abundant increase of favors, 
You will make, he will make your name famous and distinguished. You will be a, a blessing. Dispensing good to others. Distributing goods, good to others. And I will bless those who will bless you. Who come for prosperity and happiness on you. They bless you. They get blessed. And curse him who curses or uses insolent language towards you. In you, all the families and the kindreds of the earth will be blessed. And by you, they will bless themselves. So don't be worried about who's cursing you and who's saying negative things. Just leave it. Continue enjoying the blessings of Abraham. God says, I will take responsibility. Those who bless you, I will bless them. Those who curse you, God says, I will curse them. That's the covenant that God made to Abraham. So the truth of the matter is, the God of this whole universe joined himself with this one family, Abraham and his descendants, in a covenantal marriage that will result in a blessing to the entire world. If we only believe. That's the only crisis. If we only believe. A covenant is made entirely by one party to bless the other. And the other has only one condition, to either accept them or reject them. And God makes covenants and keeps them. And not only keeps them, he swears by them. Because God has nobody higher to swear by, so he swears by his own self. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly, do not swear. Why? Because we don't have the power to, to make good what we swear. The, the outcome is not in our hands. But God does swear. And since there's nothing higher than him, he says, I swear by my own self. Let's carefully look at these two verses, very important verses as we conclude. Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have it in your Bibles, please look up at the screen. Verse 16 to 18. God said, I swear by myself. Now you can look at how serious God is when he's talking to Abraham. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this, and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me, walked in faith. God swears by himself he will make good those promises to Abraham. We move on to Hebrews chapter 6 and see how relevant that is to us this morning. Verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So fruitfulness in our lives is not about just God honoring our faith, but it's honoring his oath swearing to Abraham to make us fruitful. All it takes for us to believe. He says, surely I will bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16, people swear by some, someone greater than themselves, 
and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And that's why people take oaths and promises and swear. Why? Because there's too much of debate. They say, okay, I swear to end argument and to convince the other party that what they mean is absolutely serious. Am I right? So what is God doing? He puts an end to all our arguments. Whatever argument you had, God, why weren't you there? God, why didn't you do this? God, are you still there? All our doubts, all our arguments, he puts it to an end. When we understand, God swore to himself, I will make a covenant and I will make good. Let's look at a few verses here now. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs. Who's the heirs here? Who? Say, we are the heirs. We are the heirs. All of us are heirs of Abraham. And so God is still on oath sworn that he will make good his promise or his blessings to his heirs. Or what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things. What are the two unchangeable things? His promise and he's swear, swearing his oath against himself. In which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take a hold of the, of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. In case we missed something important this morning, I want you to know, because God swore by himself, you and I can receive the blessing if we believe. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear a loud amen? amen. Settle the argument. Settle those doubts. God swore by himself. And he says, I will. Not only to Abraham, but to every one of us. I will make good those promises. Abraham demonstrated his faith by his willingness to offer up his one and only son as a sacrifice to God. You and I are absolutely privileged where we demonstrate our faith in not what we gave up, but in what God gave up. He gave up his one and only son, Jesus, to be sacrificed and the Bible says, if we believe, we fall in the category of Abraham, where we receive the blessings of Abraham, that we will be known. The most significant and important people on earth in God's eyes are those who are the descendants of Abraham who still call on the name of the Lord. You know, we're so used to micro faith, a microwave faith. You know what microwave faith is? You put it in the microwave, five seconds, ten seconds, one minute is also too long sometimes. Ten seconds, it must get hot. Take it out. Wow, thank you. Wow, beautiful microwave. Ten seconds, your food is hot. And we want that microwave faith before God. God I have this problem. I want you to settle it. I believe you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And we think, wow, it's all turned out well. There is no such thing called microwave faith in the Bible. But there are many instances that the Bible talks about which is called persistent faith. 
And that's what God wants us to have. Abraham modeled it. Can you and I model what persistent faith is? In the place of hopelessness, in the place of dryness, have a vision of what God swore for you to be a blessing. You can't see it now, but it's on its way. God said it, and God will make good of His promise to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.